0: Hey, turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. (laughs) It is. It's just incredibly quiet in here today. It's like... Yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. You know, uh, uh, that's funny. Pentecost Sunday, and it's so quiet. In some churches, in Pentecost Sunday, it ain't quiet, folks, if you know what I'm saying. So... uh, Anyway, Luke chapter 21, and uh, we are getting down now to the crucifixion. We're just a couple days away uh, in in our following along of of the book. And um, you know this, uh, right? Turn over with me to Luke chapter 13, just to remind ourselves of something. Luke chapter 13, just to refresh our memories in verse 34. And we'll read through a little bit, and then we'll pray. Oh, by the way, hey, listen, if you're uh, doing lunch ministry with us, stay after real quick. Lunch ministry with us... uh, stay after real quick. And I don't know if you caught this, but the Apostle Paul won't actually be here to touch to teach the women's Bible study. Well, I thought that was funny. It sounded like Xander said Paul, said so Paul was going to be here. I get what he meant. Uh, he's teaching us through the Word, but he won't actually be here. Uh, anyway, but we'll see him in heaven. Look over at Luke 13, verses 34 and uh, 35. Remember Jesus said this, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Turn over another place with me. Follow along. Luke chapter 19. I want to remind you what Jesus has uh, already told us a little bit about. Uh, and go to verse uh, 41 about Jerusalem and Israel. Verse 41, Luke 19. We just sort of uh, did this two weeks ago. As he, Jesus comes over the city this is called the triumphal entry. Everybody know what the triumphal entry is? Now, the triumphal entry is really important for us today. It always is important, but today in our study. And the reason is that day, remember this, was prophesied in the book of Daniel to the exact day from the decree that went out to go and to rebuild Jerusalem. We think there's a number of decrees, but we think that was maybe, probably, most likely in Nehemiah 2, the book of Nehemiah. From that day until the day of the triumphal entry, I won't go through it all with you today, get the tape for it. There's a period of 483 years And that was fulfilled That 483 years until Jesus would present himself to the city as Messiah. Everybody tracking with me? Daniel 9, that's several hundred years prior to the New Testament. And in fact, that came to pass, and we're gonna read about it right here. 483 years have passed from the time of the decree in Nehemiah 2 to go rebuild Jerusalem until the day Jesus rides back into uh, Jerusalem on a colt, Zephaniah, to present himself now as the Messiah. Is everybody with me a little bit? (laughs) Somebody's, yes. Okay, good. You're being honest. Okay, there's a prophecy in Daniel 9. We're going to go look at it in a minute. Everybody put your hand up if you have a watch on. Yeah, you have a watch on. To God, Israel... is the timepiece that God uses, so to speak. Kind of a weird way of saying it. God lives outside time and space, but Israel's God's timepiece. And for 483 years, 69 weeks, that's the prophecy in Daniel, those weeks were, um, all, have already transpired from the day of Nehemiah 2 until the time that Jesus wrote in on the triumphal entry. But here's the interesting part about Daniel. It says there's 70 weeks appointed unto Israel. What happened to the last seven weeks, or last seven years? What happened to those last seven years, that last one-week period? What happened to that last seven years? Today we're going to talk about that. And what I'm saying is we're seeing the culmination of the 483 years. Is now everybody kind of with me? (laughs) And that happens in... Luke 19 verse 45, then he went, or excuse me, 41, now as he drew near, he saw the city, and what did he do? He cried. As he presents himself as the Messiah, he cries, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, this is talking about, hey, Jewish folks, you should have known the book of Daniel the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. Guess what? I sent a picture of that embankment to Gabe to put on the PowerPoint today, but I forgot Gabe told me he wasn't going to be here. (laughs) So I'm like, where's the PowerPoint? Well, that's totally my fault. But this was a real thing that really happened. I'll talk about it in a minute. That you're going to build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they'll not leave you uh, in, uh, leaving you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's saying here, Jesus, as he rides in on a colt, you should have known that today was the day. you should have known. And we sit here as uh, Monday morning quarterbacks, kind of, and say, yeah, you should have known. And yet we don't study our Bibles very much. Now, why am I showing you all of that? Because this is now coming into the couple days before Jesus is crucified. He has participated in this day called the Day of Questions most people believe, not all, we're not going to get into that today, but most people believe that happened on the Tuesday before the Friday, Good Friday, that he died. You catching it? And he spent it in the temple teaching and preaching, and we talked about that last week. But now we get to the end here of chapter chapter 20. Look what he says to the scribes, the people who were Experts in the law, lawyers of the time, they were experts in the law. They said, verse 45, chapter 20, Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best place at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Wow. Now, I wish I would have given you the picture to Gabe to put up there, but I forgot Gabe was not going to be here today. I'm like, why isn't he responding? That's odd. Oh, he's in California. That's right. But anyway, I I wish I would have given uh, given you the picture because do you know that the temple was the center of all Jewish life? Where was the temple located? Say it out, folks. What city? Jerusalem, and it's up on the Temple Mount area, and that place is the place of all Jewish life and society. It all revolves around that place, because what resides up there? The glory the glory of God in the Holy of Holies, in the back of the temple, but up, up uh, on the Temple Mount, outside of the temple itself, were some courtyards, There was an outer courtyard called the Court of the Gentiles, non-Jewish people could go up there. But then it was like kind of like a Russian doll type of thing. But then as it got smaller and smaller and more blocked off, there was a place called the Court of the Women. It's just inside some gates there, I wish I could show it to you, that's closer in than the Court of the Gentiles, and in that area was a place called the Treasury. And from extra-biblical sources, we know in the court of the women where the treasury was, they had these 13 trumpet-look-at-things set down where, you know, the open end of the trumpet would be down there. And, the, and what they were uh, uh, doing is each of the 13 trumpets, so to speak, they weren't really trumpets, but they kind of looked like it, was a place where you could give your money. And some say that each of the 13 was designated for different things. Got it? So now you're in the heart of all Jewish religion. In the court of the Gentiles, up on the busy Temple Mount, Jesus has just been, listen, fighting with, debating with, arguing with, All of the religious people of the time, in in chapter 20, remember, he uh, taught and preached, and the chief priests were around. That's in verse 1 uh, of chapter 20. The scribes, the elders, there's all these people. And Jesus is saying, he's really given it to him, kind of, except for he's just being truthful. But do you know what the end goal of what Jesus is doing with these folks? It's not like me and you, at least me. When I get up against somebody that's disingenuous, I just want to be smart-alecky back, sort of give it to them, be cheeky with them. I don't really think Jesus was doing that. I think Jesus' end goal was that they would return and repent and come to know him in a real and saving way, unlike me and my flesh that can be very sarcastic here you get this, these adversarial people who are trying to catch him and even kill him, folks. And here's the point: the reason I just did all of this is because they wouldn't give themselves to the Lord. The Bible says, remember, do you remember this with me? It's not in the parable of the wicked vine dresser in chapter 20 that the people who were in the land who killed the heir didn't know he was the heir they actually killed him because they knew he was the heir are you catching with you get what I'm saying they knew it they'd come to see that this guy had claimed that he was God and that he was the Messiah and that he was the one and they they rejected him they listen listen. They wouldn't give themselves to him. Now, that's my introduction. And I'm going to pray, but that has amazing relevance to what we're going to read right out of the gate here today. So let me pray. Lord, thanks for this morning and for these folks whose heart is to know you and to learn from you and to be filled up with you. And Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work in all of our hearts as we sit here and examine your word Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, you have a story here that seems sort of out of place, and yet if you think about what we just talked about, it's not out of place. It's this widow who puts into one of the treasury trumpets. I'll call them trumpets. They're not really trumpets. But the dispensary or the collection areas or the collection boxes, it wasn't a box, she puts in two mites. You're very familiar with the story, but let's th- rethink it today. And he looked, verse 1, up. And to me, you know, that's interesting because he was looking down. He must have been looking down. He's arguing. He's fighting. Whatever, fighting's not the right word. Debating, instructing, teaching, preaching. And they won't give their lives to him. And he's looking down, hmm. Me, you know, I'm on my mighty horse, ha, I won the argument. Jesus is about winning the person. So he's looking down and looks up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Now you know where the treasury is. Take yourself right there. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Then, verse 5, As some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come uh, uh, in which not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and uh, the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, don't be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then, verse 10, he said to them, "'Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prison. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesakes.' but it will turn uh, out for you as an occasion for testimony. Wow, circle that. We've been going through Job on Wednesday nights. Tribulations, persecutions, handing over, being misunderstood, being uh, backstabbed, being betrayed. You like those words? Don't you love it when that happens to you? So fun, isn't it? They're an occasion for testimony or witness. Oh, my. Therefore, verse 14, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But on a hair of your head will be lost by your patience, Possess your souls. Now, we're going to go on and read the rest of it as we go here today. But this is what we're getting into. What a, what a pick-me-up message, huh? See, this is the beauty of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You're going to get, hopefully, as you continue to come and study, uh, you're going to get the whole counsel of God. I got to tell you, on Pentecost Sunday, If you were just leaving it up to me, if I wasn't going verse by verse, I probably would have picked a different piece of Scripture, and yet, in this life, the Bible tells us, in this life, if you're a Christian, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, that's you, that's me, will, not might, will... Suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. Write that one down. Uh, I did this today to be kind of a joke. It's my note card for to remember that. How often do you see that stuck up on the refrigerator? And yet that's a drop-dead deadlock promise. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution in the name of Christ. So, yeah, probably something I wouldn't pick, and yet how important, because, folks, how in the world would we live this life with that promise that I just read to you without the person and work of the Holy Spirit? Man, would it be a drag? Would it be difficult? Would it be tough? Would it be, almost well, nigh impossible to do, Right? And so, thank you, Lord, that we have that. So let's just talk about this for a minute. They're up in the treasury. You say, why did the the Holy Spirit, through Luke here, Dr. Luke, put this in here? Giving. Giving. Oh, wow, there I am. Listen to this. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Again, I'm touched. He was looking down. I'm not saying I know exactly what was in Jesus' mind. He was probably weary and worn, and he was marching to the cross for the joy that was set before him, which was us. And he knows the end that he's about ready to meet. You say, yes, but he was God. But yes, I would say back, he was fully man and fully God. And he had these things in his mind. When he gets to the garden, he sweats drops of blood. Father, if there's any other way, anything else, Yet, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy will be done. He was, it was his delight to do the will of the Father. And here, though, we see he's looking down for some reason. He's tired, maybe. He knows what's coming, and he's trying to bring as many people uh, with him into the kingdom as he can. Of course, uh, he's shared with all of these people. He's Jewish himself. He wants these people to be in the kingdom, and they won't give themselves to him. So he looks up, and he sees the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. In, this is in two other gospels. It's in Matthew and Mark. It actually says in one of those gospels that, listen, listen to this, he watched how they were giving. You, you know the Bible says this, right, folks? Let's talk about giving for a minute. The Bible says a number of things about giving in the New Testament. The Bible says that we are to give cheerfully. But we only give cheerfully if we're new creations. Because when we're not new creations with the Holy Spirit in our life, you know what's very hard to do? Part with your stuff. But when we come into a vital, dynamic, living relationship with the Lord of all creation by His Son, Jesus, we then start to understand that the stuff that we have really isn't ours at all. We're just stewards over the stuff. In that other gospel, it says, how do you give? Jesus, notice how we give. I always say this, and I always think, man, I don't know if I should say this when I start to say it, but I'll say it anyway, and I say it every time. I would say if you're clutching your dollars or your check, and it's just hard to do it, I'd say just don't give it at all. go home and, and pray about it. In fact, in the New Testament, it says, be very prayerful about what you give, and then be very consistent about it. Whatever you give, whether it's money, time, or whatever, be very consistent. See, we here just want it to be between you and the Lord. We're not against passing the plate, but you ever pass the plate, you know, and you don't have your checkbook on you? or you don't have the money, and you see the plate start coming down the aisle, and you say to your wife or your friend, oh my goodness, do you have five bucks? And nobody said that. I've said that. I'm like, oh man, we didn't come with any. We never have cash. What are we going to do here? See, that's the improper motive for giving. Because you're concerned, or I'm concerned, when the plate is coming down, oh no, what are other people going to think when I put it in there, or don't put it in there? see so here we're just convicted we're not against passing the plate some people that it just works just put the thing in the back back there you pray about it at home just let it be between you and the lord just make sure it's graceful cheerful consistent prayerful and then give away because it's all his anyway so people come up and say should it be 10 percent i'm like Well, some people say they're working towards 90%. You think I'm lying. I mean, people do that. So it's not what you give. It's how you give. Everybody understanding that? And what's funny about this is he says, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. She put in two mites. That's about one-eighth of a cent. (laughs) About one-eighth of a cent. Rich people were putting stuff in there. So you, you see, if you were rich and you were in the court of the Gentile or the women there, and you had these, you know, you ever seen those things you do like at, a, at the beach funhouse or whatever, the carnival? You put the money in and it spirals down and it makes all kinds of noises. Some people have surmised that's what the rich were doing. Hey, look at, listen to this. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. I'll be here for hours with the stuff I have. Hers were just clink, gone, nothing. He saw how they were uh, giving. Something was beautiful about it, and he said, Truly I say that she's putting in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. Uh, But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihoods she had. So one of the things is it's not... God looks at how you give. You find that from another, the gospel. But here's one thing you should know it's not the amount given, but it's the cost to you, the sacrifice. You know, you know, in the last chapter of Second Samuel, you could turn there if you want, or you don't have to, but you know, there's this very interesting thing that David says in the exact last chapter of 2 Samuel. It's in 24, I believe. Is that the last chapter, I hope? Okay, good. There's this thing where David comes or. Uh, Gad comes to David in verse 18 and says, I want you to build an altar to the Lord on the fles- threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. So he goes according to the word of Gad up as the Lord commanded. He looked uh, and saw the king and his servants coming. Aruna does. So Aruna went out and bowed before him. Aruna says, Why has my Lord, verse 21, the king come to his servant? And David said, Well, to buy the flesh. F- Threshing floor from you to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. And Aruna said to David, verse 22, Let my Lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt ox uh, sacrifice, threshing implements, and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these things, O king Aruna, uh, O king Aruna, has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer, uh, I will surely buy it for you more price, nor, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, and David built there an altar to the Lord. David knew it. It's not the amount you give. It's what cost it is to you. Now think about that. To some people, a hundred bucks, it hurts, man. To some people, a hundred bucks is like, (laughs) who cares if I even lose it on the street? It's no big deal to me. And here, the beautiful part is, she had, apparently, a great attitude. She was a hilarious giver, and she didn't just give the Lord a tip. This cost her something. There's something about consistent giving. Isn't this an upbeat message you all are loving? A consistent giving that the Lord responds to. And you see it here. You say, well, why is that in here? I'm convinced it's in here, not just because it's money. We're talking about money here because people are going to ask me. But the Lord wants you to know that we're stewards of everything that he's given us, including our lives, our money, our time, our leisure, our romantic life, our relationships, our work, all the things that God has given you, you're just a steward of, just just happily, cheerfully, just presenting it back to him in worship. Isn't that wonderful? And here he was sad that they wouldn't give their entire lives to him. And he said, you know, giving costs something. When you come and follow me, you're going to take up your cross daily. It costs something. It's sacrificed your life, your time, your resource, your money, all that you give to me. He recognized it will cost, but some people consider that cost and won't do it. Now then he moves on and he goes, remember, he doesn't say this, but remember those things that you and I just read from Luke 13 and Luke 19. He'd been lamenting over Israel, over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as, or Israel as a nation, has now rejected the Lord, and he's weeping over it. He's sad about it. The Bible tells us that the gospel goes first or went first to the Jewish nation and then to the Gentiles, right? And we live in this era of the Gentiles or the church age. Are you all catching this? You guys, I know I'm kind of skipping around. But you're going to have to know this to understand the rest. We live in the church age. But back then, some of them spoke up in verse 5. We know from the other gospel, it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They get him alone as as he's walking out of the temple and he's going back, probably up on the Mount of Olives. You can see right down and see the temple. And they spoke of this temple and how it was adorned, and they asked or how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. And these people are coming to him, and they're asking uh, certain questions. They're going to ask him in a minute, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, what will these things be, and what will the signs be when these things are about to take place? But before that, as they're walking up there, they see this temple that's adorned with beautiful stones and donations. Now, how do we know that it was beautiful? Well, we have an extra biblical source. Anybody ever heard of Josephus, a historian that wrote the wars of the Jews? Okay, listen to what Josephus says about this temple. At one point in, the, in this book, he writes, the outward face of the temple in its front wanted nothing that was likely to surprise either men's minds or their eyes, for it was covered all over with plates of gold of great weight, and at the first rising of the sun it reflected back a very fiery splendor and made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away, just as they would have done at the sun's own rays. But the temple appeared to strangers when they were at a distance like a mountain covered with snow, for as to those parts of it that were not gilt, they were exceedingly white because they had amazing pure marble that it was made out of. So some people would look up on the mountain from far away and go, it's snowing up there. Isn't that interesting? So to the Jews, it was unthinkable, William Barclay says, that the glory of the temple should be shattered to dust. No way. That thing is unbelievably amazing. And, oh, by the way, King Herod donated this vine that was put on the temple doors. So it just looked beautiful. The vine is a picture of Israel. Everybody track it with me? I feel like we need to do jumping jacks, man. Is it the dog days of summer already? We're not even out of May. Well, anyway, here it is. And some of them spoke of the temple. They said, look how beautiful that is. There's no way, Jesus. That's what they're saying. There's no way. You've said this. You've alluded to this kind of in the past. Is there any way that thing's going to be knocked down? Jesus says this in the reply. These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, you know this, right? Do you know this? Do you know your history? This is happening, This, uh, uh, you know, in the 30s A.D. In 70 A.D., that's why I got this map for you <laughs> that Gabe was going to put up, except for I didn't know he was gone, or I forgot he was gone. What happened was the Romans came in a couple years before 70 A.D., and they encamped around it. Do you remember when we read... Jesus said, there will be an encampment around you. They encamped around it, and like a boa constrictor, they just strangled out Jerusalem. But in 70 AD, two years hence, they were ordered not to harm the temple, but uh, some history tells us that a drunk Roman soldier threw a lidded or lit torch lidded oh, that's funny lit torch into the temple and somehow it caught fire and you know how those massive plates of gold i just read to you about they melted and they went into the cracks of all those stones in the rocks and there these are massive stones i mean massive you you don't know how they got these stones up here and because they wanted the gold isn't this interesting the roman's soldiers like a frenzy like blood-in-the-water type of thing for a shark, put those stones and took them and threw them over the side of the temple mount and extracted that gold for themselves. And thus it came that that prophecy that Jesus said, there's not going to be any stones left there, came to pass in 70 AD. Isn't that fascinating? By the way, if you go to Israel now, You can walk down off the Temple Mount, and you can walk among these exact stones. You see them. You see where they were thrown off the Temple. So here Jesus said there's going to be this judgment for a national rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. I wish you would understand about giving. It costs you something. But you don't understand this... Following of the Messiah will cost you your life. And thus there's a judgment for the national rejection of Jesus as Messiah. So then they ask him, that's actually where Peter, James, John, and Andrew come in. They asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will be uh, there be when these things are about to take place? And if you go to the other gospels, it says, When will the they're asking these questions? You ready? This is important. When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming? And what's the sign of the end of the age? That's what they're asking. Of course, they want to know. But what happens here in the church is we read this thing that Jesus is doing here. It's called the Olivet Discord. How many people knew Discourse? How many people knew it was called the Olivet Discourse? Good. Well, we learned something today. It's found in Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus Olivet Discourse. I can't imagine many more pieces of Scripture that are debated and hotly contested than what we're about ready to read. Nothing is hotly contested as this. What does it mean? What does it mean? Where, what do we think about? What do, what do we talk about? Well, it's important to remember in 1 Corinthians 1.22, you want to write that down? It says that the Jews require a sign. Not the Gentiles. The uh, Jews require a sign. But the church, wake up now, but the church don't require a sign. I want you to know that we are looking for our Savior. But the Jews are looking for a sign. I don't believe We don't believe that Jesus here throughout the Olivet Discourse is discussing Jesus coming for his church. We believe that's the rapture. You better want to write that down. We don't believe this is Jesus discussing him coming for the church. That's the rapture. Because we believe that that's imminent and can come at any time without any signs. Are you catching it? Because if you read this and you go, okay, here's what I want to do. I'm going to read Luke 21, Matthew 24, and I'm going to get all my prophecy ducks in a row. Here, you'll never do it. (laughs) Because this is talking, this uh, sermon is from a Jewish man, Jesus, speaking to questioners who are Jewish that want to know about Israel and the Jews. Is everybody tracking? So if you're here and you're like, well, what is this guy up here talking about? I'm going to give you a two-minute prophecy primer. Last time I said that, I went back and listened to my uh, Olivet Discourse sermon. In Matthew 24, I said I was going to do a five-minute prophecy primer. It took me 50 minutes. It was really embarrassing. I was cringing listening to this uh, yesterday two-minute prophecy primer. Ready? Here it goes. You live in the church age. We believe that in other places, not here, that it talks about the ch- uh, Jesus coming in the clouds to receive his church. That you can find in John 14, 1 through 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But... As we're in heaven for seven year period, do you remember I said Israel is God's timepiece and one seven year period has been left out, 483 years have already happened. What happened to the last seven years? I'm about ready to tell you. The Bible talks about a period of tribulation, a seven year period that's awful. that you could read about, listen to this, this is really important in Revelation 6 through 19. Just go there. It's all laid out in Revelation 6 through 19. What happens during the tribulation period? Christ pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. They didn't give themselves to me. Isn't that interesting? Christ pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world, and this, this is the major thing, God does business with the nation of Israel. And in fact, at the end of the time, when they see him coming with the wounds, uh, Zechariah tells us they're going to recognize their Savior. There's a hundred, during this seven year period, there's a hundred and forty four thousand Jewish evangelists. There's these witnesses at the wailing wall on the temple mount. We'll all see it. CNN, Fox News, whatever you watch, we'll all be able to see it. The Jewish people will be able to see it. They'll be prepping for this. God is pouring out his wrath. On a Christ-rejecting world, it's the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus comes back to the earth. You could read about it in Revelation 19. Don't take my word for it. Go read it yourself. With who? With us. His army. And he comes to rule and to reign. He's coming back in judgment. He's going to rule and reign. And you're going to participate, if you're found in Christ, in his administration. The thing I'm convinced. The thing that you love to do... God gives you the desires of your heart, it says. The Bible does. I'm convinced during that time, the thing that God has implanted in you, that's what you're going to be doing in an administration. Like, you know, some people like to fix up things. I, I can't stand to fix anything. I hate it. It brings me, I break out in hives when somebody says fix. He loves it. He's going to be in charge of the construction department. I'm going to be in charge of watching sports and hiking. That's what I like to do, but I'm just kidding a little bit. But, but you know what I'm saying? You're going to do what God's implanted in you. I'm convinced of it. I'm, I'm convinced. What do you love to do? You're going to be doing it in his administration. I'm sure of it. Okay, God comes back to the earth, or Jesus comes back to the earth with his army, and he judges, does a lot of judgment, all that sort of thing. I'm going to spare you all the details. And then he's going to set up a kingdom for a 1,000 years. It's called the millennial reign. That's in Revelation 20. At the end of the millennial reign, lots of things are going to happen. Satan's going to be loosed for a time. Then he's going to be uh, put into the lake of fire, fire, which is ultimately hell. And those who follow Satan are going to go with him. After that, this heaven and earth is going to go away. A new heaven and earth is going to come. God is going to live with us forever. All you have to do is just read the book of Revelation. It tells you it. I really don't think Revelation is that hard to understand. You just read it in chronological order and don't get messed up and read it literally. You're like, what? Okay, that's prophecy primer. This chapter speaks about that seven-year period. Oh, by the way, this seven-year period that we call the tribulation in the Bible is called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob Israel, or it's called Daniel's 70th, week. We just found the lost seven-year period. Here it is. Ready? Let's read it. So they asked him, saying, well, come on, tell us about when the temple be destroyed, and what sign will be there when these things are about to take place. And he said, take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come to my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. These things must come to pass first, but the end won't come immediately. Then he said to them, nation, arise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, various places, famines, pestilences, fearful sights, great signs from heaven. Sounds fun, right? No, it doesn't. It sounds terrible. But before all these things, they're going to lay your hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prison. Remember, they're Jewish people who've asked the question, You'll be brought before kings for my name's sake. It'll turn out, it'll be an occasion for testimony. Settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom. We read this. And then in verse 16, you'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers. Doesn't that hurt? And they will put some of you to death and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. Now, turn over with me just real quick and hang in there with me to Matthew 24. Just turn over there real quick. I want you to see something that's not in Luke, but you need to know. Matthew 24, this is not in Luke, but I want you to know it. Matthew 24, verse 3, look, the signs of the times and the ends of the age, verse 3 through verse 14 are very similar to what we just read. Everybody with me? But then there's something that's left out of the book of Luke that you pick up in Matthew, and that's this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Folks, here's what I'm trying to say. Here at this church, we're futurists. We believe in the future fulfillment of the book of Revelation and the prophecy There are many people in the church that believe all these things have already come to pass. We don't believe that. And you need to know that the things that we've been reading about right now here in Luke don't have the extra tag in verse 15 of Matthew 24 about the abomination of desolation. What is the abomination of desolation? We believe that's when the Antichrist, after the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, stops being nice guy with a smiley face and sets himself up in the temple in Jerusalem and says, you either worship me or die. That's the abomination of desolation. By the way, did you hear what I said? That's three and a half years into a seven-year period. It's right in the midpoint. So what are these things that Jesus are saying here in verses 8 through verse 19? Well, futurists are split on this. Some people believe these are the signs that ramp up, that start to increase as we get close to the rapture and the tribulation period is about ready to begin. Do you get that? That's called the inter-advent theory. Other futurists, hang with me here, believe that these aren't signs that happen before the tribulation, but that these are the exact same things, issues, problems, seals, judgments that take place in Revelation 6 in all of the seal judgments. It's uncanny, folks. If you look at Revelation 6, Revelation 6-2, wars, Revelation 6-2-4, through 4, international discord. That's in Luke 21.9. Famines, pestilences, persecution, martyrdom, earthquake, and cosmic phenomena are in Revelation 6. Now, why am I telling you that? There are two different schools of thought. These signs ramp up and get more increasing, 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 and that's when Jesus comes back to get his church, and then the tribulation happened. That's one, one view. Another view is Life just going on and is out of control, just like it's always been. It's bad, it's tough, it's wicked. And when Jesus comes back for his church, you're going to see in the first three and a half years of the tribulation these things that are set forth in 8 through 19. Did I explain that okay? For most of my life, I was just going to tell you what I feel you 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 be a berean i was of the first type but the more i look at revelation 6 my goodness these match exactly with the seal judgments i hear many people say there's nothing really bad that happens in the first three and a half period of the years of the tribulation really read the seal judgments i mean you just read the seal judgments it's catastrophic what happens in the first three and a half years. Okay. Okay. Some of you are like, just shut up and go on, please. But to some, see, that really matters. I get emails all the time. You know, some of the, I've, I've gotten this email, hey, earthquakes are actually decreasing. And they give you all the stats. Natural disasters actually decreasing. How can you say That this is ramping up when earthquakes, natural disasters, are actually decreasing according to the, all the different people who count such things. Well, my answer would be it's because it's inside the tribulation. Everybody track it with me? Great. Then what Jesus does in verse 20... He gives us, again, this literal prophecy of the AD 770 fulfillment. The thing about Jesus is that makes all of you and all of us angry and mad. We like our things, you know, in bullet points, outlines. You know, if the teacher, heaven forbid, doesn't give you the outline and makes you think, you're like, wait a second, I need it in A, B, C, D, and E. Why are you going to F first, then G? Well, Jesus tells us, or at least the Bible tells us, sorry, that it's the glory of a king to search out a matter. That's what it says in the Proverbs. It's glory of the king to search out a matter. Jesus is just getting around to answering all their questions. Here he says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know its desolation is near. Now he's answering the question again. When's this going to happen? That thing's too beautiful to be knocked down. There's no way anybody could knock this down. He's reiterating, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled, verse 22. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies, for there will be great distress in the land, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive Captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles in the t- until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, there's a near fulfillment of that prophecy, and that near fulfillment happened in 870. I told you about it. Roman soldier drunk throws his lantern in; it catches on fire. They knock the stones off of the mount. That happened already. It's going to also happen in the middle of the tribulation. When the Antichrist for the th- first three and a half years, even though it's devastating what's happening, the seal judgments are coming, he's smiling and all nice and sets up a Mideast peace crisis or, pro, or treaty. And then in three and a half years, he's going to set himself up on the throne and say, you either worship me or your head comes off. The Bible says in Matthew 24, I read it to you, flee to the mountains and protect yourself, Israel. May there be a remnant of those believing Jews, right, or those, those ones who see that the wrath is being poured out and will ultimately see their Messiah come back with the wounds on his body. Everybody tracking with me? Okay, I promise we're going to have a point about this in about an hour. No, five minutes. So then they already asked a third question they wanted to know well when are you coming back so he answers it in verses 25 through 28 here's when i'm coming back basically what he says is you anybody who's in the tribulation period at the time isn't going to have to guess whether i'm coming back or not at that time there will be signs in the sun and the moon in the and then the stars and on the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves are roaring, the nations are roaring, men's hearts are failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is Revelation 19, folks. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads because your redemption draws near. Israel, listen, Israel's future redemption, Romans 11 says, all Israel shall be saved. Israel's future redemption is associated, folks, with the tribulation. Here it is. Look up because your redemption draws near. Now, wait a minute. Just a real quick time out. You might be saying to yourself, well, where am I during this time? If you're in Christ, we believe you're in heaven. Chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation. You're looking down. You're in heaven with the Lord. Here, the Israelites will lift up their heads because their redemption draws near. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, now watch. Then he spoke to them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees when they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know, or happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will, will by no means pass away. What does this mean? Just hold on here, man you're going to be blown away at the end, I think. Not by me, but by the Lord. Well, here's what I think this is mean. Traditionally, most people have associated Israel with the fig tree. And on one hand, that probably is, there's, there's some truth to that. Think about it. Israel goes away as a nation, only to reappear in 1948. No other nation in the history of the world has completely gone away and come back. And so many thousands of years later, and as I told you the story when we were doing Matthew 24, if you want to see God's providence just like Esther, God working through heathen kings, pagan kings, God working through insomnia of the king, God working through the choice of books that the king has pulled off the shelf. If you want to see the providence of God that was in Esther, go and study the history of the United States when Harry Truman signed Israel back into being a country. It's almost, if you're not a believer, too hard to believe. Harry Truman had a haberdashery, he had a hat store back in Missouri. His, his partner was Jewish. He learned a lot through the Jewish nation. When he gets to be president and he's sitting there, the morning of, everybody is telling him, do not sign, do not sign, do not sign. His hero, General Marshall, says, if you sign, I quit. And yet, he'd heard those stories and the faithfulness of God through his friend. And when it came time in 1948 to sign Israel back into nationhood, he signs it, and they come back. It's the providence of God. Yes, I think that's true, but guess what, folks? So, so, so many people say, when you see Israel come back to life, know that all these things we've been talking about is coming close. Yeah, maybe. But it also says, in all the trees. Look at the fig tree in all the trees. When you're already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. No, I think what's happening there is God is saying ultimately yeah yeah maybe israel but really remember israel when you see the things that i've just brought you through and you don't know whether you're not to believe the messiah believe them in the messiah because when spring comes summer is right behind it are you catching what i'm saying you know when you see the signs contained in the first part of this chapter israel that i'm coming back and there will be no mistake. I think that's what he's saying. And then there's this really troubling passage to some people, and I don't know why it's troubling. It says this, assuredly, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take a place. People say, well, come on, man. This all was fulfilled in 70 AD because the generation Jesus was talking to had to be alive when the prophecy took place. Is everybody tracking with me on that? That's not what that's saying, in my opinion. What that's saying is when you see those signs, which haven't happened yet, folks, but when you do see those signs, it's going to come really fast. The tribulation period, boom, boom, boom. Things are going to be happening, and that generation that sees those signs will by no means pass to all things have taken place. Heaven and earth. Okay, now, you're saying, oh, this is just great. You've just given us... a 40-minute thing on something that may or may not apply to me. Listen, folks, I can't think of anything more that applies to us. Watch what he says here. But take heed to yourselves, verse 34, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't carouse anymore. That used to be my lifestyle. Maybe, you, maybe you're not drunk all the time anymore. That used to be my lifestyle. Wow, I'm three for three here. But I bet you the third one got you. Don't be weighed down with the cares of this life, and that day will come on you unexpectedly. What the Lord is saying is to the Jewish folks then, but he also says to us in other places, he's saying to the Jewish folks, repent and come to know me in a real and saving way. To us, he says, the day of salvation is today. You, the Bible says, want to escape the wrath. What do you mean? Watch keep reading with me. Verse 35, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the son of man. You're like, come on man, get to the point. <laughs> well, we believe you avoid the wrath if you're in Christ. You're not appointed unto wrath. You'll be taken out. The Lord will come in the clouds, and you'll be raptured, and you'll be in heaven. What the Lord is saying to us is, today is that day. Don't go by. If you think you're a churchgoer and that will get you into heaven, it doesn't. If you think you're a giving person who gives a lot of money and helps people, that doesn't get you into heaven. Church doesn't get you into heaven. Committees don't get you into heaven. Being good doesn't get you into heaven. Only the blood of Jesus Christ applied in your life, my life, gets us to avoid the wrath. (laughs) But for them, he's saying the same thing. You watch the things that we've just been talking about are going to come on you unexpectedly, and I don't want you to be unexpected for you. I want you to know. That's the first thing he says. Look back up in 30. Know for yourselves that summer is near. Folks, here it comes. Don't miss. We've done all this for this. The Lord wants you to know. The Lord wants you to be a Berean. The Lord wants you to understand and to be what the Bible calls a right divider of the word. You can divide the word. You, 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 as much as possible understand the word. You make it a part of your life. It's the, it's what you live your entire life through. It's the lens that you look at the world through. You don't separate your entertainment and hobby life from your Christian life. Everything is impacted by your relationship with the Lord, and you know because you're a right divider of the Word. Things come into your life and you go, wow, it's not in there. God says, yeah, I'm happy it's not in there. So you'll press into me and my Word, and you'll search these things out and be close so that you'll know that you know that you know that I'm real and I'm your Savior. In fact, In the New Testament, his return, listen, is called the blessed hope. You ever thought about that? It's the happy hope. It's the joyful hope. Some people read about the end times and go, whoa, I'm scared. The Christian says, I'm not scared. I'm happy that he's coming back because that means I'm going to go be with him. Now, there's something else it does to you closely associated with that. You watch. Look in verse 36. You watch, therefore, and pray always that you're counted worthy to escape. How are you counted worthy to escape? Just apply the blood in your life. Just receive what he's already done. You say, but wait a minute. What about my family and friends who don't know? Yes, turn over with me. You, you say, I'm scared for that. Well, scared might be the right word, but it's not really scared. It's your burden for that. Yes, of course your burden for that. Look over in ver- uh, Uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 13. This is the story of the minas, or the minas, however you say it, the parable, where a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said, Do business till I come. You say, well, wait a minute, I feel like I'm going to escape the wrath. Yay, praise the Lord, it's a happy hope, but I'm worried about my friends and my family. You know what Jesus says? Then keep doing business. Don't you miss any opportunity to pray for that one that's never come back to the Lord. Just don't, don't, don't miss any opportunity to serve them, to love them. Even when they're difficult, just keep loving, keep serving, keep your mind on things above. Don't worry about the slights and the unforgiveness and the friction. No, 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 no. By the power of the Holy Spirit, live a life of love and power to do business until he comes. Be a person who knows your Bible a right divider of the word. Be a person who's watchful. A watchful person is like, yes, I can't wait to be with the Lord, but until that time, I'm going to do business. Watch this, and we'll close. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter that contains a little bit about the rapture, but also contains about our uh, information about our glorified, resurrected body. Look at the very last verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, after he talks about all of this, be steadfast, immovable, always not, you know, (laughs) what about when I'm on vacation? Do I really have to abound in the work of the Lord? What about when I just want to veg on the couch, knowing that your labor is not in vain? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, keep doing it, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What happens if nobody sees what I'm doing? What happens if the Lord doesn't recognize what I'm doing? Well, the Lord does see what you're doing, and he does recognize what you're doing. It's not in vain. In fact as we close here, and we worship one last time, Hebrews 6, chapter 10. Put this on your card and put it on your fridge. I'll do it with you. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. As we become filled up with the Lord, our mission is to keep doing business. Do you really think your your, your mission is to get Instagram followers, Well, you know, I guess you could say it. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, inst- whatever, work, whatever you're doing, it's unto the Lord, doing business into your come. Yes, I'm going to be a great worker and do my work, but I'm more interested in people's salvation than I am whether I get 17 bonuses this year. I'm more interested, and, and you, you're tempted to think, but, but, but does the Lord ever see? Hebrews 6 says he'll never forget it. So as we pray and sing this last song, I just want you to know that you now have a broad picture of the Lord's plan. You're going to be living out into eternity, and these are the things you're going to pass through. But until that time, until eternity, we're to do business until he comes. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And for this word, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts and lives. Lord, you'd fill us afresh with your spirit, that we would be ones who would be interested in your business, not just our lives. Help us to be unselfish and to lay our lives down and to serve and to be joyful, impactful servants for your good and your glory.